Hey everybody, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. And we're going to be talking about uh, some stuff that we care about today, but want to begin by talking about ourselves a little bit, uh, just who we are, where we're from, and uh, what we care about. Jeremy, begin, just tell everybody a little bit about who you are, um, where you're from, and who you're from. Yeah, so I uh, was born and raised in Georgia, the dirty South, as it's often (laughs) referred to, and it was awesome. You know, I think sometimes um, you look back and you think, man, we didn't have a lot, but I'm not sure that we understood, you know, that, uh, you know, my parents did a great job of making sure we had everything that we ever needed for sure, but sometimes wanted. But growing up in Georgia, you know, it was uh, always um, an an adventure, you might say, as far as trying to understand where the world, uh, maybe a better way to say it is sometimes I felt like uh, I was in a bubble of some sort. And and I think a lot of people are. And uh, when I went to college, started to hear more and experience more and be... um, have a better intellectual understanding, I guess, of how the world was was working at the time. So I grew up, and like I said, uh, it was awesome because I uh, had, on my mom's side, had eight cousins, and we all lived in the same town, so we were always with family. Wow, yeah. Yeah, and, and so I had a lot of good memories of growing up with my cousins. Um, I grew up, once again, in, in a part of the country where uh, the Civil War was always a big deal, Confederate flags flying around in my local uh, high school. Uh, went to a school that uh, the the guy that, that gave the money for the school actually um, had a hospital during the Civil War for the northern part. It was on Civil War grounds, and so uh, a lot of, of of my tradition and history uh, was a lot about um, hearing a lot about race, hearing a lot about the South will rise again. We're was still your, we're still waiting school? for that. Yeah. Was your- <laughs> Was your school, what was the demographic mix? Was it? So the school I went to um, was all white. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, not by anything other than it was like a small a city school. I actually had to kind of, it wasn't private, but it wasn't public either. Um, so yeah, it was, it was always interesting. And, and trying to, once again, um, just a little bit of my family history is is we even had some of that in in our blood. Um, so my great grandpa uh, was actually part of the uh, the KKK and the Ku Klux Klan, and no uh, yeah, so it was, and, and it, it was never kind of um, blatantly in front of us. We always heard that that the the uniform or the outfit or whatever the bedsheet um, was somewhere. Um, so that was always an interesting perspective, um, and then uh, going over to his house, and uh, but then I had a an uncle who was really into kind of inner city ministry, and so it was always this interesting dynamic of I was exposed uh, to uh, you know I remember as a teenager going to African American churches with my uncle and my aunt. Um, so it was, like I said, so that was never put on us, but it was always in the kind of in the air, I guess you might yeah. say. Yeah. Um so yeah, and 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 then uh growing up in Georgia was obviously um very conservative politically, 
very conservative um, understanding of of how politics should work. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that was always a part of, of who I was growing you're, up. You're an Alabama football fan, yeah. right? Yeah. Why? Because <laughs> they're the best football team in the country. No, my dad was born and I raised. I wish I could argue with you there. <laughs> the fact of the matter is they my are. My dad was champions. born and raised in Alabama. Okay, all right. And so this was part of, was always on the TV. Just hit was, right he was a, an Alabama fan through and through. So I don't know that we had a choice. I mean, we did, but, you no. know, it was always just what it was. Um, so, yeah, grew up very, like I said, conservative, Um Went to a, a, a small church in northwest Georgia. Um, I think at the, the, our largest point, we were running 80, 85, but usually 40, 50. Um, and, and these these little old ladies just loved me, um, sometimes in spite of me. And and I always attribute that I am where I am as pastor because of um, these little these ladies who just spoke love into my life and spoke Jesus and and really just was glad that I was part of the church. Um, I was our church piano player by the age of like 12 or 13. Yeah. And, um, and so it was, it was, it was awesome. And so that, that, that's kind of, like I said, that grew up very conservative, grew up very, um, hearing that and not even understanding or, or even being able to listen to, anything outside of that because it just wasn't the way life was supposed to be. So now you're a pastor in Northwest Ohio at in Paulding. And so how how have how have things changed for you in the sense of your perspective or worldview? Yeah, I think that things change when you start to see um different cultures. So I I went to school in Nashville, Tennessee at Trebekah. Nazarene University, and and through that experience, did a lot of inner city work in Nashville. I did a, a prison ministry while I was there. I did uh, some, you know, we did a lot of things with the homeless in downtown. And then uh, I actually lived in Arizona for four years and got to see kind of that different West Coast perspective, uh, the different understanding of of Hispanic people, literally could drive down to the Circle K every morning and, and guys were standing on the corner just waiting to get picked up for day work. And wow. And and so having that whole experience, having people in our church out there that, you know, had come across the border. Uh, and, and so it just kind of opened and, and I started to to make me ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Ask a lot of questions about where do we find God in the midst of all this? Uh, how do we... How do we handle those who are on the underside of society, the poor, the you know, the kids and in the community right down from our college who lived in government housing and had no hope, one might say. And so how do we as Christians start to grapple with this understanding of who Jesus is and who God is? So I think perspective and just seeing and once again, I I, I I don't think that is because anything other than I could sound somewhat negative towards my parents or towards my church. I don't think it was anything that other than we were doing, you know, what we felt like God was, you know, and, and, and we were just living and growing up and hanging out. And, um, and so then sometimes I guess when you get older, you start to just see things from a different perspective. 
And so those years in my college were very formative for me and on many different levels, many different levels. So So what are the things that you care about right now? What are the things that are uh, maybe keeping you up at night or things that make your heart beat fast? Well, I think that um, probably the biggest thing is I really want really want God to have a fair chance. <laughs> and I felt like in our world, God is either this or that, and maybe God is neither. And, and so mm-hmm. I feel like as we are looking at things that are happening in our world politically, as we're looking at things, how they're happening around the world, that sometimes God gets put in a box. And something that really makes me frustrated is when you get grouped in with a bunch of people and say, well, this is this is what it is. And then you look at the scripture and how God acted and how God chose to show himself among people and in which people um, it, there seems to be this big gap. And and so I, I feel like it's, it's something that as I live and preach and do what God's called me to do, I want people to really hear who God is in the Bible rather than who we want him to be or who we have thought him to potentially be. And uh, it seems to um, to be a big talking point, for sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. What about you? Yeah, so we're sitting in a little studio in Lima, Ohio, at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene, which is actually the church that I um, started attending with my family when I was 12. When I was really little, my dad was an itinerant uh, uh, pastor. He We would... A little church for a while, and then we go to another church for a while. He's a youth pastor and associate pastor. He always worked bivocationally, you know. So I, um, I grew up in little little country churches, just loving them, just loving the church. And when I was when I was eleven or twelve, uh, my parents made a pretty significant decision for our family to start attending the large church in town, which is Islamic Community Church of the Nazarene beforehand had no affiliation with that denomination or movement. And when we started attending this church, um, and I use that, you know, that word on purpose, when we just started attending, when we started sitting in the seats, we sensed something that was sincere. And then as we started getting involved in the community, what happened was my siblings and I, we all found a place to connect and a place to belong. And that really excited my parents. I think they were concerned for our spiritual development and spiritual formation. And so we started plugging in. And for me, as a sixth grader especially, I was a a chunky, obese kid uh, that was really insecure. And when I I came to church, I found this group of people that legitimately loved me. I mean, they were were crazy about me here. And I, you know, I just ate up, I ate up the attention, I ate up the, uh, the respect and the honor, you know, given to this little sixth grader or well, not very little sixth grader but <laughs> but uh and so um I attended this church uh, through high school I uh, started playing music and I was kind of your typical high school kid in many respects um was in sports and you know did stuff but then I went to uh, Olivet Nazarene University just south of Chicago about 40 miles and it was there really that I fell in love with the Church of the Nazarene as a denomination, as I got to know and learn more about it and about uh, the people 
that were a part of it in this global network of people called Nazarenes. And I became very passionate about it. Um, I would just want to back up and say on my, you talked a little bit about your heritage on my, um, on my mom's side of the family, uh, way back we were Raleigh's related to Sir Walter Raleigh, the one who was um, founded Virginia and the one for whom Raleigh, North Carolina is named. Um, and then there were also Nelsons on her side of the family. Uh, Thomas Nelson Jr., who signed the Declaration of Independence, uh-huh. was um, not my not my grandfather, but his brother. So a great 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 uncle, you know, a dozen or so generations back there. And so on my mom's side of my family, I really have this deep sense of cultural identity and security. I'm sure there were slave owners in the family. I'm sure that. I'm confident Sir Walter Raleigh was not a very ethical man. Um, I think that uh, Thomas Nelson Jr. was a fiery revolutionary. Uh, And for me, especially on that side of my family, I, I don't take pride in my heritage primarily saying that I'm an American in kind of a nationalistic way, but I take pride in my heritage and recognize it is my responsibility as a part of this family heritage to embrace and care for this nation that my family was a part of building and has been a part of constructing for generations. And I think that what we're doing a lot in society right now is we so quickly disown where we've come from, you know? And so I, um, uh, we named our one daughter, Raleigh, and uh, going to help her grow up with a self-understanding of where that name comes from and who she is. Um, On my dad's side, there were uh, German immigrants several generations back were Mennonites and then um, became a part of a movement, an evangelical movement, which is now the Missionary Church, uh, which is pretty popular in Northeast Indiana. So that's kind of where I come from and who I come from. What what gets you going right now? What what are you You concerned about? Honestly, Jeremy, I think for me, I'm becoming really passionate about being passionate. And that, that may seem that may seem kind of weird. I I look around at the world and I feel like we are we live in a world where people don't care. Yeah. Where people don't want to own anything. Yeah. We don't want to own where we're from. We don't want to own who we are. We don't want to be responsible for what goes on in our town. And I, I look around and I wonder, well, who in the world are going to be the responsible ones that are going to get us out of this mess? Right. You know? Um, and so I think, I think right now I'm asking the question in my life, what are the things that I care about? You know, uh, we're, uh, my wife and I are about to have our third child, and I'm, I'm finding that the most meaningful thing that I can be a part of really is the raising of my children. Mm. I'm realizing more than anything that um, raising them well could be the greatest gift I could give to the world. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that I'm, I'm becoming, I'm, I'm trying to figure out in my life what are the things that are worth dying for and what are the things that need to be let go. But, um, but right now I'm, I'm really passionate about raising my my girls well. I'm passionate about pastoring well, the people that have been entrusted to me. And, you know, and really that's kind of our hope for this podcast. And that's what kind of the whole reason that we're doing this 
together is there are several passions, several things that are on our hearts. Um, and so let's just, let's, let's launch into that, just a conversation, even about some of the things that, uh, well, let's do this first. You mentioned you're married. Yeah. And you have children. Maybe yeah. we should talk about that just a little bit. So, yeah, sure. Some like just nuts and bolts about yeah. who we are. And, yeah. and, and, and so you started, you have a wife named, do you want to give a name? Are you? Yeah, I've got a wife. Her name's Kate. <laughs> and two children right yeah, two, now and yeah, one on the way. Two little girls, another one on the way. Yeah. And you live in Lima, Ohio. Yeah, that's right. I'm from Lima. So I'm, I had moved away from Lima and then came back and, I'm now living in this place, um, and that's a really special thing. I'm working with people who I've known for years, you know, all my life, which is really kind of a special, yeah. special privilege. I'm also married to Tara for um, in a couple of weeks. Will be 17 years. Congratulations, unbelievable. man! It's a long time. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's great. Or do you think you'll stay married? That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> that's the hope. If she will. Uh, she will stick up or, uh, you know, put up with my antics. Um, and one, of my, we, one of my friends was on a cruise and uh, he was, they were celebrating, I think they're like a 40th anniversary and uh, they were at the pool. There was this other guy who was sitting there and, uh, and he says, hey, you know, why are you guys on the cruise? He said, oh, we're celebrating 40 years. He says, 40 years. I can't believe you stayed together that long. And uh, and my friend, my friend says, "Name." He says, "Well, you know, what do you want? What are you doing here?" He's like, "Well, this is my honeymoon, but I just can't imagine staying married for forty years." <laughs> I, you know, I hope we make it five, which is kind of a cultural thing oh, right now. I mean, it's just so culturally acceptable to be unfaithful. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. So maybe it's a question worth asking. You know, you guys expect to stay together, and see another seventeen? Yeah, hopefully for a while. <laughs> she, you know, we joke with each other like, "You're stuck with me because yeah. if this weren't in." No, I don't know that I'm still in the market for anything else. So we no, there's more than that, but we joke with each other about that. We have two children, a 14 year old and 11. Uh, it's crazy that my oldest will be a freshman in high school, and his name's Caleb. And then uh, our youngest name is Cully, and uh, they are awesome. Um, and yeah, so that's just. And we live in Paulding, Ohio. Yeah, small town, northwest, close to. To a lot, far from everything, yeah. and um, so that's where we reside. And I'm the pastor there at the Nazarene Church. So, any other any other basics we should um, get out of the way? I I am not an Alabama football fan. I'm a Buckeye fan, and we're going to tackle college football in one of our later conversations. Coming for soon, good or, for good or for ill. It's coming yeah. soon. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I think it was rather convenient that they let Ohio State not be in the playoff this year, just because the only team that it seems that Nick Samet can't be is the Buckeyes. But well, we can talk again, we'll talk about that when we when we have the college football conversation later and So yeah, then back things. to your point about the podcast. What what are we what are we what are we going to jump into together? Yeah. So like we said earlier, we're both Nazarene pastors. Jeremy and I are both Nazarene pastors who kind of under larger umbrellas, that means that we are pastors of Christian churches that are Protestant, that after the Protestant Reformation um, and the movement of, you know, Protestant Christianity to America were a part of the awakenings and then the early 20th century holiness revivals, and that's where the Church of the Nazarene was born. So there were Methodists, there were um, other holiness denominations, some Charismatics, different mainliners even, that were a part of 
that were a part of revivals at the beginning of the 20th century, and the Church of the Nazarene was born out of that. And so we come into this conversation as Nazarene pastors, as Nazarenes, and as evangelicals. So when somebody comes up to you and fields you the question, oh, so you're an evangelical, or are you an evangelical? What do you tell them, Jeremy? And where... How do you understand yourself within that, I guess, family? Yeah, I think that the hardest part is the first thing you want to do is apologize <laughs> and say, well, yes, but, and, and a lot of people have given that label up. A lot of people have given even the label Christian up mm. and, and talked more of the language, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm, which is cool. Um, but I think sometimes, so when people ask me, are you evangelical? I think you have to define what do they mean by that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What are, are you talking about a political ideology that people tried to persuade to vote for them? Are you talking about this understanding of what it means to be who Jesus is calling us to be in a kingdom understanding? Because, because... I think that if you, if you don't get at what they're saying, or how they define that term, then it's hard to to go beyond what that would even look like. So I think first and foremost is you have to define, okay, when you say evangelical, what do you mean? Because then you can respond and say, well, that is not my understanding, but this is what I think when I think of evangelical. Because the heart, I mean, the heart of the term is it's gospel in nature. It's kind of the I- idea of it's good news, proclaiming good news, and that maybe. Um, Oh, maybe those who would not identify as evangelicals don't see as kind of a primary part of their Christian identity being proclamation to those who are not a part of an evangel- a, a Christian fellowship. The evangelical kind of this centering of their identity is the idea of kind of gospel sharing, right? And that takes on form, different forms. Yeah, so I think, you know, if you look at the word and, and where it comes from, this evangelion or whatever, yeah. it's... It was a word that Roman people would use when they would come in and say, Caesar is Lord, um, or Caesar has just conquered this land, or Caesar is the one that's in control of this. And so for me, an evangelical would be one who says, Jesus is Lord. And, and so, but unfortunately, the term has gotten hijacked as to people who vote a certain way or vote for certain causes rather than as one who believes Jesus is Lord and nobody else is. Yeah. What, what about Nazarene? What, um, how do you feel about um, identifying as a, as a Nazarene pastor? If another denomination were to call you right now, would you, would you be open to it? No. I, you know, I, I think I was in a Nazarene church the Sunday after I was born. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I love our tribe. You know, I, I don't think that it's perfect, think that, that we got some things to work on, but I think the the understanding of this life of holiness and this life of total devotement, this life of passion for Jesus and for other, for God and others, however you want to put that, I think that, that that's what our world is looking for. And and I think that our our message is exactly what a, you know, whatever your post-Christian, post-modern, post-whatever <laughs> word you want to throw in there, I think it's what it's starving for. And and so to me, when I look at other denominations, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure it's there, but but like I said, as as the way we articulate it. 
and the way we define it and the way I think we really go after it is something that, that really is intriguing and attractive to me and has been my whole life, if that makes any sense. Yeah. What about you? When somebody says evangelical to you or Nazarene, what is, what is your, what's your approach? For me, for me, whenever anyone says evangelical, I really, I, I kind of go back to where, where um, you're your approach in that I, I I say I'm I'm evangelical in the sense that I'm a part of a movement of Christian churches who think that a proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ is probably the highest form of truth and deliverance that can be proclaimed in this world. And so if if we're talking about being followers of Jesus who understand the proclamation of the good news that Jesus came to bring and the declaration of his life to be a high priority, then yeah, I'm totally on board with that. But if when you say to me, you know, are you a part um, of, like like you said, of um, a political movement of people that is uh, the moral majority of the 1980s, you know, which, which unfortunately still people think that that's what evangelical means, um, the answer is no, because as we've found out to be the case, the moral majority is actually a very immoral majority. Um, political power is a very um, dangerous... Uh, surrendering, surrendering Christian identity in a quest for political power is the thing that the prophets railed against. Yeah, yeah. Right? Not Christian identity for them. It was, it was Hebrew faith. But it's, uh, um, I am, I'm invested in proclaiming uh, the lordship of Jesus, mm. right, and the, um, the kingdom of God breaking in. And as far as, um, as far as Nazarene is concerned, I didn't grow, unlike you, I wasn't in a Nazarene church as a young child. We were in um, missionary churches primarily when I was younger. Uh, I think my mom has some brethren or even some friends background on her side of the family. Um, uh, Church of the United Brethren in Christ was a big denomination uh, for them um, on my mom's side. But for me, what attracted me to the Church of the Nazarene is not the antiquated language with which they talk about entire sanctification as this absolute transformative crisis moment, this uniform transformative crisis moment. I mean, I... I think kind of from an outsider coming in to the fold, that's always been something that I've been suspicious of. It's like, you guys, this is kind of a goofy way to uniformly try to talk about it, you know, and in the Church of the Nazarene's manual statements about entire sanctification, it's still, it's just, it's kind of goofy because we've been putting together words, just tying together words from different iterations of the statement. And it seems the, like through history, our doctrine on that keeps keeps getting longer because nobody wants to do the hard work of right. trying to, well, we can't remove that because that's been in there forever and ever, and, 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 and saying, maybe there's a better way to really explain what we're trying to say here. So rather than making it more succinct and more understandable, we just keep adding on and on and on and on, and it keeps getting longer and longer right. and more confusing and more confusing. Right. W- rather than saying, this is who we are, this is what we actually believe the holy life looks like. Right. For, for me, for if me... If that makes sense. Yeah, for me, it wasn't the doctrine. I found the doctrine of sanctification to be incredibly confusing, hearing all the different people teach on it. 
Yeah. Because whether or not you want to believe that there's a uniform doctrine of entire sanctification, there's not. Right. There's not. People are teaching. I heard general superintendents in college come for revivals and they would all preach a different ideology, you know, and I don't know if they realized they were doing that sure. philosophically, but um, regardless, the thing that was attractive to me about the Church of the Nazarene is for the first time in my life, I found a group of people that legitimately were pursue were asking the question, what does it look like for us to live a holy life together? Yeah. What does it look like for a group of people to be concerned primarily with honoring God with their lives as a collective. And to me, it was just the most, it was the most mind blowing and beautiful uh, community experience I'd ever been a part of. And I said, sign me up for that. Yeah, sure. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And, um, and sure, there are lots of other, there are lots of other people in the world and Christians in the world under different mantras, under different headings you know, denominational headings, local church headings, whatever, doing that same thing. Sure. But for me right now in this place that I am, I'm in, there's no reason for me to disown the label that I have right. of Nazarene. Sure. And so, um, but I also, because of that, I feel called to be a part of the group of people that does the hard work that you just talked about. I, um, I look forward to the day when my generation is called upon to do the hard work. And, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of generational talk. Everybody's bashing millennials or it's kind of popular to bash the generation that's coming after you, you know? Um, but I'm not, I'm not interested in bashing the generations that have, are coming after me or that came before me. Rather, I'm very interested in being responsible with what I have right now, Yeah. you know? And I think that, um... I think that for me, labels, um, I'm, I'm not trying to get rid of all of the labels in my life, but I'm help, trying to help with my life to redefine particular labels, particularly evangelical and particularly Nazarene. Yeah, and, I, and even going back to evangelical, which Nazarenes would, would fit into that category. So I was preaching a couple Sundays ago about the commandment do not murder. Mm. And so we talked a little bit about how that's with our words, that's with um, a lot of different ways to murder people rather than just getting a gun and mm. shooting somebody. And so we kind of talked just about a, a consistent ethic of life. And I said, what's frustrating is we get roped into, well, this is how we have to vote because this is the pro-life candidate. And I said, well, what would it look like for a group of people to get together and say, this is what we believe Jesus would have us to be? And to look at both sides or all as many sides as you want to and say, well, this has some pro-life talk, but it also has some life, some talk that's anti-life. Yeah. This side has some pro-life talk, but it also has some talk that's anti-life. What if there was a group of people that rose up and said, we're going we're gonna to fight for both sides on the points that we believe gets us to being actually pro-life? What if, what if we weren't grouped into a certain side and saying, this is, if you're pro-life, this is who you vote for? What if we were this third voice or this different way? Or a, 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 what if the evangelical voice was saying, man, we like this about the Republican Party, and we like this about the Democratic Party, and we like this about the Tea Party, and we like this. And we would think that if you would all get together that we could work with all of you to actually be and come up with with legislation that would actually be pro-life. 
that might be good news for our world that seems to be so divided is, is if there was a group of people who said, we're going to cling to who we believe Jesus is calling us to be. Yeah. We're going to cling to be who God's calling us to be. And no matter what political label you want to put on that, like we don't care because we're not about that. We're about being about the kingdom and what that looks like. And so we we call people from both sides to the understanding that Jesus would have us, who he would have us to be and what he'd have us to do. And if you're for life, don't, I don't care what political label you have, then, then we can work together because that's what we think Jesus would have us to do. So, Jeremy, as we wrap up our first episode, just what do you hope as we um, do this series, these podcasts, what do you hope happens? Yeah, probably just building on something I talked about earlier in the podcast. Um, I really think that as we live in the culture that we live in, and as we try to be faithful to the cross and who Jesus is calling us to be, it really causes us to be different. And not different for different sake, but different because the cross is different. So I think that as we talk together, have conversations, um, my hope is, is that we will start to see people, see situations, see circumstances as what does the good news say to this in the midst of this? And so I think it it can go as far as starting at Genesis one and understanding we're all created in the image of God. And and so as a Christian from a Christian perspective, I may not like President Obama or President Trump, um, but I have to start with the fact that they're both created in God's image. And so what does that mean? Come and on. Yeah. what does that mean yeah. for how we talk about them? Yes. How we choose to, to criticize. I think criticizing is okay, but I think that it's got to come from a place of this is not who Jesus would want us to be rather than this is not what my party would want. Yes. And so how do we have those conversations in a way that doesn't demean and doesn't make them enemy, but says we as the people of God can't agree with this because this is what we believe the good news is about. And so how do we speak that good news in the midst of such a divisive, um, divided time in our land, right. and how do we be that third voice? Um, what about you? What, what, are your, what are your hopes? I think that for me, I, I want to inspire people to move from complaining or to move from being people of opinions to being people who live out goodness and the truth. I just had a birthday and every year on my birthday, I just I tend to do a lot of reflecting, thinking about the year past and the year that's coming up. And I really felt convicted on my birthday this year that last year I whined a lot. I just feel, I feel like I've grown as I'm growing older. I think I'm maturing, but I also find myself as I get older feeling more and more entitled that I had this idea that somehow as I get older, things should fall into place for me more or should be easier, or people should respect me more, or something like this. And I really, on my birthday, I just had this, maybe this epiphany of realizing, you know, this year, I'm not gonna, every time, every time I want to whine about my life, I'm gonna choose to be inspirational. I'm gonna choose not to whine about my situation. I'm gonna choose not to complain about all of those things out there, yeah. and those people out there that are out of my control. Yeah. But then I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to be inspirational. And I really, like you, you said something about hoping people are different that that's, I think that is very, it would be very different 
if a movement of people rose up and said, no longer are we going to complain, but we are going to be inspirational and we are going to inspire change and difference in our world, inspire holiness, you know, Christ likeness. So, uh, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. We will, uh, see where this journey takes. Yeah. We'll catch you guys next time. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. And is produced by Isaac Smith.